welcome to City Breaks. Welcome, in fact, to the very first episode of the very first UK series that City Breaks has ever done. And I've chosen to start with one of our really most beautiful cities, and that is the lovely, gorgeous, Georgian architecture-filled city of Bath. You may know something about Bath in a Roman context. You may have seen pictures of those lovely squares and crescents built in the 18th century. Most probably, if you've only heard of it in one context, it's going to be perhaps through the novels of Jane Austen. An elegant city then, a classy one, with lots of history, lots to talk about. Hailed, in fact, by the poet Swinburne as England's Florence. If you're familiar with the sequence of city breaks, you may know that Florence was the very first city at all that I covered. One of my absolute favourites. So where better to start with UK cities then than Bath, which at least one poet thought was equally beautiful. So a little context first. Geography, where is it? It's in the southwest of England, about two hours' drive west of London, set in beautiful Somerset countryside near the Mendip Hills. I've seen it described as having an amphitheatre setting because it's surrounded by hills, by seven hills in fact, which is said to be one of the reasons why the Romans chose to settle here, the seven hills reminding them of the setting of Rome. And geography plays quite a large part in Bath's raison d'etre. It's surrounded by limestone quarries, and that's where that lovely golden stone came from, from which the Crescents and Queen Square were built. But the number one geographical factor that put Bath on the map is the fact that it's the UK's only site with hot springs. Lovely warm mineral-filled water at a temperature of about 46 degrees centigrade gushes up reliably every day in Bath. The Romans knew this, that's partly why they stayed, they liked a bath. The Georgians certainly knew it and made use of it for medicinal purposes and built a whole social life around that and still today it's one of the reasons why people come to the city. Perhaps they want to taste the water, perhaps they want to bathe in the new 21st century spas, perhaps they want to visit the Roman baths. If you had a map of Bath in front of you, you'd be able to see that it's built on the River Avon. The river loops round the southern edge of the city. The oldest part, bang in the middle, is where the Roman baths are today, because it was around the hot water springs, of course, that the Romans clustered and built their baths and their temple and their houses. The Dark Ages, after the departure of the Romans, are a little bit of a mystery in Bath, as in so many other places, but it was certainly back on the map in medieval times. And you can see traces of the site of the medieval city on a map in the street names, because about 24 acres or so was surrounded by a wall which was about 20 feet high, and within that was the abbey and its lands, its orchards, its fields, and also the medieval town growing up around it. So if you look on a map, just north of the abbey, you'll find Upper Borough Walls. Clearly, that name is telling us that that was part of the route of the wall. Go round and you'll find North Gate, and East Gate and South Gate. And if you loop further round, you'll be on Lower Borough Walls, which joins up eventually back to Upper Borough Walls. And it's there on Upper Borough Walls that you will find the only remaining section of the wall helpfully labelled by a plaque which states part of the medieval wall of the city of Bath. 
A little further out from that again, you can see the beginning of the Georgian expansion. So if you follow up just north of Upper Borough Walls on a map, you'll find Queen Square and a road leading from there up to the Royal Circus and the Royal Crescent. The city spread eastwards as well. You can cross the river on Pulteney Bridge, where you'll come to Laura Place and Great Pulteney Street. More examples of Georgian architecture, built a little later than the Circus and the Royal Crescent. So that's the layout, the geography, if you will. Let's have a quick look at the history. A Celtic tribe known as the Dabuni settled here. They knew all about the hot waters and they dedicated them to their goddess, Sul. I mention this because you'll see her name in place names a bit later on. The Romans arrived, as already said. They were in Britain for about 400 years and they settled in Bath, made it in fact one of their major settlements over here in England for a number of reasons. One, it was in a strategically very important place. If you know that the Foss Way goes from Exeter, south of Bath, diagonally across England to Lincoln, and add to that fact the idea of a major road coming west from London, you'll realise that the point at which they cross is Bath. They wanted to settle near a river, of course, and there was the Avon, handily in place. But the absolutely top number one reason for their love of Bath was the hot springs. The Romans liked a bath, as I'm sure you know. They were very good engineers, so they were able to exploit the water, building a network of pipes and tunnels and baths. They too were aware of the health-giving properties, and so Romans who came liked to stay, and many more Romans came on visits. News spread far and wide of the delights of Bath. They also made it a shrine to a goddess. They had their own goddess, Minerva, the goddess of health and wisdom, but they were very canny and they decided to adapt her name, combine it with that of the local goddess, Sul, the one that the Celtic tribes had worshipped, and so the new goddess became Sulis Minerva. So, after the Romans, the Dark Ages, a little bit of a mystery what happened then, but the next key date is in Anglo-Saxon times, 757, when a Saxon abbey was founded here, on the site of the present abbey. And so impressive and renowned was it that 200 years later, in 973, it was the place chosen for the coronation of the very first king crowned as King of All England, namely King Edgar, later known as Edgar the Peaceful. The Archbishop of Canterbury designed the service, he came down to Bath to conduct it himself, and in fact that service became the model for all future royal coronations right up to and including our own Queen Elizabeth II, crowned in 1953. Twenty years after her own coronation, in 1973, she came back to Bath for a service in the Abbey to mark the 1,000 years since the day when her predecessor, King Edgar, had been crowned there. By the 11th century, under the Normans, a royal charter had been granted to Bath. The town was growing, it was becoming more prosperous, and in 1090, it was decided that a new Norman cathedral would be built to replace the Saxon Abbey. That too then, on the same site as the present Abbey. Medieval Bath was prosperous, it had a flourishing woollen trade, and cloth trade generally. It was known as a market town. Edward III granted a royal charter to allow markets every Wednesday and Saturday, for example. 
and also to allow one ten-day fair every year. It was a town where the abbey played a major role. The monks were central to town life. They, for example, supervised the hot springs, made a point of inviting the poor in health to come for treatment and recuperation here. But in 1137, disaster struck, there was a major fire and the new abbey burnt down. Bath, of course, is mentioned in early 15th century literature because one of the characters in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales was the wife of Bath, a lady, it's believed, who was employed in the woollen trade. The next really key date is 1499 because that was when it was decided to replace the now derelict Norman Cathedral with a brand new abbey. Henry VII himself sent his leading architects down to design it, architects who had already been building in Westminster Abbey and in Oxford, so absolutely the very best available. And this is the abbey which remains until today. Then comes another slightly blank period, nicely summed up by the writer G.K. Chesterton, who was writing in 1928, and put the following. Bath is a city of the Romans and of the rationalist 18th century, with something of a valley of oblivion in between. So, the 18th century then, the new era, the Georgian era, when the streets for which Bath is best known began to be built. So, the King's Circus, as it was called, although nowadays it's the Royal Circus, named for George II. There was supposed to be a statue of him in the middle, but I don't think that ever got done. Queen Square, that was named for his wife, Caroline of Ansbach. And a bit later then, Charlotte Street, named after George III's wife. So the look of Bath was changing and its reputation was growing. In fact, during the 18th century, Bath was the most important town in England after London. All kinds of famous visitors came here, a stream of royalty, politicians, William Pitt the Elder, for example, people like Clive of India, Nelson recuperated here after he lost his arm, famous writers and painters, Gainsborough, for example. It was really, in short, the place to be. There are a number of names associated with Bath right up to today of people who were very instrumental in this new phase of the city's history. So names you might hear would include Ralph Allen, a local businessman who owned the quarries where the honey-coloured stone comes from, for which many of its famous streets and buildings are rightly very admired. Then there were the two architects, John Wood the Elder, who designed Queen Square and the Royal Circus, and his son, John Wood the Younger, who was responsible for the design of the Assembly Rooms and the Royal Crescent. Another name you'll hear a lot is Beau Nash, a strange and rather ebullient man. He had a title, I think it was Master of Ceremonies. He used to preside at the pump rooms and welcome guests and see that everything was running smoothly. But he was one of those people you may have come across at work or somewhere who liked to aggrandise his own role, make himself much more important, make himself, in fact, in the end, indispensable. He devised a set of rules called the Polite Society, which governed all sorts of things, what you could wear to various events, when they would happen, no dancing after 11 o'clock, for example. He took it upon himself to vet newcomers as they arrived and decide whether it was or wasn't fitting that they should be invited to various social events. 
So, Bonash, remember that name. So, this is very much the heyday of Bath in the 18th century, when people were coming down for the season. What were they doing? Taking the waters at the pump room? Bathing, perhaps, in the Roman baths? Having treatments at the Royal Mineral Water Hospital? And lots and lots of socialising. So, a bit of walking about on North and South Parade, designed specifically so that you could walk up and down and see and be seen. A spot of shopping in places like Milsom Street, church attendance very possibly, and lots of evening entertainments, dinner parties, visits to concerts and to the theatre, plenty of balls and dances, bit of a tradition for public breakfasts. All of this summarised by writers such as Dickens, the characters in Pickwick Papers went to Bath for several chapters, and of course, of course, known to most of us, through the novels of Jane Austen. I think most of her novels mention Bath, but two of them, Northanger Abbey and Persuasion, have large chunks of the action set there. And Jane Austen also left a lot of letters behind, from which we can also glean some of her opinions about Bath. More of that later. But, as is the way with things, all of this eventually went into a gradual decline. Other cities became more popular. Brighton, for example people began to think that maybe sea bathing was the thing. So Brighton was popular, so was Weymouth. And Bath gradually fell out of favour. But just before we move on, here's an extract which summarises what it was like in its heyday, written in 1766 by one Christopher Anstey, who contributed a poem to a publication called The New Bath Guide. And here's a little extract from it. Fine balls and fine concerts, fine buildings and springs, fine walks and fine views, and a thousand fine things, not to mention the sweet situation and air. What place, my dear mother, with Bath can compare? So, the 19th century, the Victorians, Bath was a little more sedate in those days, I think. There were some major new building projects, the Abbey was restored. Kennet and Avon Canal was built, making Bath much more of a transport hub. And then in the middle of the century, the railway arrived, linking Bath to Bristol and to London. So all of that promoted trade. Queen Victoria came to visit when she was only 11. A park was to be opened named after her, the Victoria Park. She didn't like Bath very much, in fact, and she said so and never came back. But Bath remained loyal to her. So a few years later, to mark her coming of age, an obelisk was erected in the park, still there today, and right at the end of her reign, in 1900, the Victoria Art Gallery was opened, and a statue of her sighted outside it, a gift from the women of Bath. In World War I, Bath's MP, Lord Alexander Tin, was killed. He's remembered in Bath Abbey. And in World War II, disaster struck, the city was bombed by 80 Luftwaffe planes. Over 400 people were killed. The assembly rooms were burnt out. The Royal Crescent, the Circus, Queen Square were all hit. Although fortunately, the Abbey was spared. But a visitor at the time commented, quote, The beauty of Bath has gone. They came and bombed the loveliest parts. But it's a testament to the success of the repairs in the after-war years that, in the 1980s, Bath was declared a World Heritage Site. 
two-thirds of the city is a conservation area, the largest one in Britain, and 6,000 buildings in the city are listed as having structural or historical significance. The Roman baths were closed in about 1980, but they too were reopened, renovated, and with a sparkling new museum all about the Roman heritage of the city. And in 2005, thanks to a Millennium Grant, the 21st century version of the Roman baths was opened, Thermai Bath Spa, the only place in the UK where you can swim in natural thermal water, alongside 21st century spa treatments, a lovely rooftop pool where you can swim and have views over the city and the seven hills surrounding it, which was so beloved of the Romans. So then, Bath is a city with a very fascinating history, the city of the Romans, a fashionable resort in Georgian times, the city of Jane Austen, and of the elegant manners promoted by Beau Nash. It's a city where theatre and music are important. Its theatre was the first theatre outside London to be named a royal theatre. It's the stage for which Sheridan wrote. He set his play The Rivals here in Bath, for example. It's also the stage on which Sarah Siddons, the famous 19th century actress, became so popular before she moved off to London to star at Drury Lane. The world's oldest music ensemble still plays in the pump room. And in a more modern version, it's also a city where busking's very popular. Auditions are held. There are rules about standards and content. There are rules about no busking on Sunday morning and keeping things to a minimum during other services at the Abbey. And it's very much a city with lovely parks and gardens. Going back to Georgian times, the promenade days, when people with perhaps not all that much to do between treatments and visits to the baths like to walk about and be seen. So you've got parade gardens right in the city centre. And just a few minutes' walk from that is Sydney Gardens, which in the 18th century was a renowned pleasure garden, somewhere for walks and concerts and firework displays attended on occasion by Jane Austen, for picnics, for meals, for socialising generally. From the 19th century there's Victoria Park, with lots of different aspects, a botanical gardens, a bandstand, a massive and very popular children's play area, and leading as it does directly to the Royal Crescent, one of your classier parks. It's a city where fashion and shopping play quite a role, dating back perhaps to its days as a market town in the medieval period and to its role as a centre of clothing. We know that a lot of Jane Austen's characters went shopping in Milsom Street, where there were all sorts of little shops selling lace and ribbons and boots and bonnets. And still today, Bath is a popular place for shopping, being full of quirky one-off shops quite the antidote to most modern high streets. If you go exploring in the little passageways just north of the Abbey, you'll be surprised at how many different shops that you won't find anywhere else are there. And the city's link to fashion is also maintained because it's the site of the Bath Fashion Museum, where, yes, you can see dresses and bonnets from the Georgian era, and indeed from before that, but where, too, things are kept bang up to date. Every year, a leading designer or fashion journalist is asked to choose one outfit which represents that year and which is added to the growing collection of outfits from the early 1960s. 
So, to summarise then, Bath is just a really generally classy city. Elegant, beautiful and very English. In his lovely little cartoon book, Discovering Bath, with lots of line drawings of all the city's famous sites, Paul Snowden commented, quote, Tea and bath buns in the pump room is still one of England's great civilised things to do. Yes, quite. OK, so the series to come then. There are going to be 13 more episodes. I'm going to start with a bit of a historical take. So episode two will be on the Roman baths. Let's find out a bit more about what they looked like and hear some descriptions of what went on there. Then in episode three, I'm going to think about medieval bath in an episode called In and Around the Abbey. Then episode four will be on taking the waters. So we'll have a look at the role of the city as a spa town. A little bit of history, quite a lot of quoted descriptions of people actually trying out the waters. And then from episode five to seven, I'm going to move on to the Georgian era. Episode five on the architecture. So we'll wander around some of the crescents and squares and a look to inside one or two of those houses to find out how life was lived there. I'm going to call episode 6 The Season, 18th century style. So a closer look at what all those people who flocked down from London and elsewhere were actually doing when they got here. And in episode 7, I'm going to relate all of that to Jane Austen, have a look at her novels and what they can tell us about Bath. Episode 8 will be on museums and galleries. We'll have covered quite a few in earlier episodes, for example the Roman Bath Museum, but this will be a chance to look at the places that haven't come up organically. So the city's two main art galleries, the Holborn Museum and the Victoria Art Gallery, and there I'm going to focus particularly on things which they have which are particularly relevant to Bath. Then I think we should go to the Fashion Museum and also to one or two smaller museums with lots to say also about the development of Bath and how life has been lived there. Episode 9 is going to be called Parks and Walks. A chance to look at some of what happened in places like Sydney Gardens, Parade Gardens and Victoria Park. A chance also to recommend one or two walks around the city centre if you fancy doing your own thing rather than joining a guided tour. And Section 2 on something called the Bath Skyline Walk which is a slightly more energetic but very lovely way to see the city. Episode 10 is going to be about the theatre, so the history of the Theatre Royal in Bath and its predecessors, and something about some of the plays which Bath audiences have enjoyed over the centuries. Episode 11 is going to be called a Bath Anthology, a chance for a selection of readings, some literary, some from travel writers, some historical, which just add to a rounded picture of the city, but for which room wasn't found in earlier episodes. And then the final three episodes are going to focus on easy days out from Bath, things that you might want to go and visit within an hour's travel from the city and which have proved popular with many others. So the little village of Laycock, one of those hugely picturesque English villages which in fact has got a new role these days as a popular site for filming period films. And then a trip to the cathedral city of Wells. England's smallest city, glorious cathedral, lovely Bishop's Palace, also actually quite a popular film set. And finally, a trip to Glastonbury, which you may know as the site of an abbey. 
you may know as the place where Glastonbury Tor is. Perhaps you're more familiar with its reputation as a rather alternative town. Or maybe your only connection is via the Glastonbury Festival. Lots to see and do there, and I think that will make for an interesting episode to just finish off the series on Bath and its surroundings. So, I hope you're looking forward to all of that. I hope very much that you'll be joining me next week when we'll have episode two and visit the Roman Baths. Until then, just like to thank you very much for listening and to sign off. In English, in fact, we have no foreign languages working here, unless, of course, I could work out the Latin for goodbye. Hmm, may work on that between now and next week. Anyway, thanks very much and goodbye. Goodbye.